everyone in the world should have some basic level of guaranteed health care. This is not controversial. But what should that basic level of health care be? Most of our health care costs are incurred in the later years of our lives. So should guaranteed health care extend into the later years of our life? And how much has modern technology driven down the cost of what it should be to treat a patient? Maybe based on those cost reductions, we can offer much more guaranteed health care. Healthcare today has lots of problems with bureaucracy and poorly aligned incentives, but the potential of vastly better healthcare is clear to technologists. And advances in software and hardware have benefited other enterprises. They're eventually going to make their way into healthcare. They're eventually going to reduce the cost. They're going to improve oversight. They're going to lead to better health for everybody. It's just a fundamental truth. Watsi is a nonprofit with the goal of seeing a world with universal health care. Watsi facilitates crowdfunding of patients who need low-cost, high-impact treatment. That sounds like a great investment to me. Y Combinator Research recently funded a study in collaboration with Watsi to study using technology to improve the quality and reduce the cost of health care. They looked at where can we reduce waste, where can we improve the experience. Thomas Bukowski is a software engineer with Watsi, and he joins me for an interview about what universal healthcare even means and what the roadmap to getting there might look like, as well as some of the technologies that are being used today and what might be used in the future. Thomas Bukowski is an engineer with Watsi. Thomas, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks a lot for having me. Watsi is a nonprofit with the goal of providing universal health care. What is universal health care? In general, what we believe is that everyone on earth deserves the right to health care. If you're sick, you should be able to get the health care that will make you better. And that's essentially the that's essentially what universal health care is. Everyone can if, you know, if we know how to make you better, you can be better. So nobody would argue against universal health care. We would never argue against that. But some people might think this is not feasible. What has changed recently that has made this a feasible aspiration? Right. I think the, I think no one would argue with like the principle of like, oh, you know, if you're sick and we know how to cure you, you know, it would be great if you could be cured, right? I think that it always comes down to kind of how much it costs and who gets what. And I think the kind of, it's really, really hard to sit down and kind of do even like sort of on the back of a napkin or like macroeconomically speaking and say like, oh, for this country, it is feasible or it isn't feasible to, for them to get universal health care. Like a good example, a good way to think about it, for example, is that in the U.S., there's, you know, there, we have really, really great kind of end-of-life care. Like, the la- you, you know, the, it's, the, it's the statistics around, like, hey, you know, the last six months of your life, you spend, like, I don't remember exactly, but like half of your healthcare spending is in the six months, of your, last six months of your life in the U.S., right, for some segment of the population. Versus, like, and that's kind of an artifact of how our system is run. is mostly insurance-based and things like that. Versus, like, you know, say, like, the NHS in the U.K., they kind of control spending in a, in a lot different of a way. So it's kind of like, it's a... The tricky, it's interesting you start with the question, wait, how do you define universal health care? Because it's like, it really does matter. Like, well, is that last six months of, of you know, a very expensive care that gets you another mm-hmm. month of life, another few months of life, 
you know, but maybe another few months of life where you're like, you know, in a hospital bed, like, is that worth it or not? And that's a very difficult question to answer. And also kind of one of those questions where like, if I ask it in one way, in terms of like for someone else, you might be like, well, yeah, that maybe that's not worth spending $2 million to do that. But if it's you who's sick or your, you know, your mother, right, or your child who's sick and, you know, you know, you can get them, you know, we can spend a bunch of money to get them another month or two, three months of life or, or whatever it is, like you might be inclined to answer very differently. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a tricky, it's like what has changed that has allowed us to that achieve this versus what has, I mean, in a way it's always been achievable. I think in general the world has gotten more wealthy, which means we can spend a little more on healthcare than we've had in the past. But it's not like, uh, I wouldn't say that there's been like a sea change that we're able to do that versus like, say, self-driving cars. I feel like there's more of like a sea change where like now we can right. do it versus in the past it was like, oh, that actually was kind of unfeasible. Well, even if we redefined it as universal healthcare is you get everything taken care of for the first 40 years of your life, that would be a pretty ambitious goal. And that's something that I do feel we have the economics to achieve right. in the foreseeable future. And the reason we have those that economic feasibility is because technology lets you do more with less, and we have had some really good technological breakthroughs in recent years. Some of them have not made it as far into the healthcare system as we would like, right. but you can just look at them as a scientist and say, okay, smartphones and Internet of Things and cloud computing are going to dramatically reduce the cost of a lot of this healthcare stuff, not to mention 3D printing and robotics, and this stuff is actually kind of cheap because we figured out how to do this supply chain stuff really well from smartphone mass production, and now we're getting into electric car mass production, the costs of all of these hardware components are going really de- are going far down. It and the safety of these procedures are are going up because of you know computer vision oversight potential. Right. It's of course hard to get these things distributed evenly. What are the most salient technological contributions that you've seen to? lowering the cost of care for some of the procedures that you see people getting through Watsi. Right. I think one the in terms of 3D printing of like limbs and prosthetics, like we've actually done a bunch of we funded a bunch of those. I guess they're not technically surgeries, but those the prosthetics, right? Folks that have lost limbs or otherwise had had limbs uh, amputated and things like that. And you know, this is in, you know, this is in like a a clinic in rural Guatemala, right? It's a pretty it's not a because of these supply chain things and a lot of those kind of other changes you made, it's like not very difficult to get those prosthetics to a place even like rural Guatemala and get them sort of get them installed and sort of working and have like have that kind of be like a feasible medical procedure to do, you know, kind of in, in the middle of nowhere. I think there's at least two big kind of categories when it comes to how technology has been changing healthcare in the last uh, five or 10 years. I think one big category is definitely like telemedicine and like sort of new kinds of procedures that we can do now with, that we couldn't do before without, um, you know, without, say, 3D printing or different kinds of technological breakthroughs. And, like, you know, those are kind of, those are kind of the procedures where often, they, you know, they, they go, they're going through, like, clinical trials, they're going through FDA approvals and things like that. That's kind of, like, one branch of it, right, where it's kind of in the, it's like kind of the most obvious improvements you would imagine 
It's like, mm. oh, we can, you know, we can't make this thing before. Now we can make this thing. So now we can do something new with it. The thing that's kind of, I think the thing that's Watsi's working on more is the kind of, it's kind of what I hinted at earlier around like the sort of the allocation of healthcare, right? Like how do you, like a lot of times it's not that, for a lot of countries, it's not that they don't have quite enough resources or money to, you know, to sort of provide whatever benchmark it is, right? Like you said, you know, the first 40 years of your life, or even in a more basic sense, just like primary care, right? Like cuts and bruises, you know, in developing countries, malaria and TB and kind of HIV treatment, they often do have enough resources to treat those kind of these relatively simple, or the treatments are relatively simple um, most of the time. But, you know, it's, you know, the ability to sort of allocate funding in the right way is the ability to know how, how much of these, how, how prevalent these things are, is the ability to like know that the procedures or, you know, or even the drugs are dosed correctly. Like it's a lot of that kind of like sort of, it's really just data and kind of crunching data, right? Like in a way mm-hmm. a very, like in the same way, you know, modern computing, you could in a way started with like being able to excel was kind of the first big thing where it's like, oh, this is great. Instead of doing this all like on a piece of paper, I can just do this on the computer. Like we're still kind of at that stage with a lot of that kind of like healthcare funding and allocation mm-hmm. and especially in the developing world, right? It's like, especially if it's like, there's, I mean, there's so many, I've like seen so many systems where it's just like, okay, they have to send weekly reports and monthly reports and, you know, quarterly reports and annual reports. And well, how do they get all these reports? They just literally flip through like these huge books and just add all the numbers together. It's like human Excel. And then like they send these pieces of paper, like, sale mail right to the ministry of health or the district health office or whatever it is and um it's like that's where it's like wait we can do some very simple things there it's you know it's not quite so simple to implement but like the technology itself in a way can be quite simple to kind of make this way more efficient and also just know what's going on on the ground right because when Mm -hmm. when you can't you know when when a task is very tedious it's like you know you're like okay well maybe i'll just kind of oh this was Oh, it was 23 malaria cases last month, so I'll just write 23 for this month. And it's just kind of like, it's one of those things where it's like, that, that's something that ends up happening a lot. And if we can, if we can take the tedium away as well as, you know, and kind of through that increase the accuracy of the data, like you can, you can suddenly do, you know, sort of allocate healthcare and the funding for healthcare a lot more precisely, but also a lot more, you know, a lot more equitably than you could mm-hmm. before. Watsi itself enables crowdfunded healthcare. It's a nonprofit. Explain how that crowdfunded healthcare works. We have so we partner with a number of medical partners on the ground, like I mentioned before, in rural Guatemala, but also in a lot in East Africa, few in Southeast Asia, in Cambodia, Philippines. And when they kind of essentially, when they have someone who comes in who can't afford a treatment that they need, they have an option to to send. Some details about themselves, like a photo, something a little bit about sort of their life and a little bit about their sort of their medical condition to Watsi, and then we can put it on the website. Folks can fund it, kind of just like you can fund a Kickstarter or or GoFundMe. And when the when that you know that procedure is sort of fully funded, then you know they sort of Watsi in a way enough pays for that procedure instead of that patient having to pay for it, right? Instead of that patient. And often what happens is that folks will you know like sell their cow or like sell their land or like lease their land or like, you know, or like just, you know, sort of borrow a whole bunch of money from like their community in order to be able to pay for these procedures instead of, you know, that, so we kind of, in a way can allow folks to do that without going into what is kind of in the, a similar developing world sense of just kind of going bankrupt to pay for a medical procedure. 
the kinds of treatments that Watsi tries to facilitate are low-cost, high-impact treatments. When you identify a patient with a low-cost, high-impact treatment, you can get a lot of leverage out of the particular crowdfunding campaigns that people might contribute to. So if I log on to Watsi and I'm looking through these different campaigns, I can see, oh, here's a person where if I donate $5, my $5 is going to go really far because it's a low-cost, high-impact treatment. So what's an example of a patient that I might see or a type of condition that I might see if I log on to Watsi and I'm looking through people I might potentially want to donate to their case? What's an example of a low-cost, high-impact treatment? Yeah, I think one that's one. There's a couple that's very common. One that's very common is uh, hydrocephalus, which is a kind of which, and I'm gonna, I'm sure I'm gonna get the medical details wrong, but roughly speaking, a a certain duct kind of in your head gets uh, gets blocked during during or shortly after birth, and then kind of fluid builds up in your head, and you get you kind of see a lot of these photos a lot of times, right, where it's these babies, these really swollen heads, and it's like a relatively simple procedure. You can definitely die from it, but it's it's simple procedure, but it's like two or three hundred dollars. Right, and two hundred dollars is a lot of money for someone who you know whose annual income is five hundred dollars a year, a thousand dollars a year, and also to come up with that on the spot when you're already you know you're already you're you're already spending something to you know to give birth in a facility to you know to travel to the to the hospital or the clinic and things like that. That's something where like you know two hundred dollars is not that much money, especially you know you know for us sort of software engineers like we're like okay that's like not a crazy amount of money, but that's something that literally can save like. A kid's life, right? It's like a kid mm-hmm. that you know. Um, so that's a very common one that we fund. We've done some prosthetics that's been kind of pretty interesting. Those are kind of, I mean, a lot of those are just you know folks that otherwise just sit at home and just kind of like you know kind of they become a dependent, right? They you know they can't really work, they can't work in the fields, they can't go mm-hmm. go and get a job. There's a lot of stigma around you know losing a limb and things like that, and also kind of just stigma around just being disabled in general. And so all these folks can now go and like you know. They can work in the field. They can like go work, you know, go like man the, you know, the family shop, um, and things like that. How much does it cost to attach a prosthetic these days? Because I know you said printing it is not expensive at all, but is attaching right. it expensive? I think a lot, a lot of it attaching is not super expensive. A lot of it is um, a lot of times, you know, the the wound and things like that have been, you know, have been kind of dressed and healed already. But a lot of it is like the training and just like spending time so that sort of folks know how to use it, right? Know how to obviously maintain it and clean, sort of clean it and things like that. A lot of sort of I think one thing that makes these sort of like these procedures sort of low cost and high impact is that you know we're not we're not kind of going to Guatemala and being like let us try and find some patients and then find them a you know a, a hospital or a clinic to to uh, to get a procedure at but rather these are like existing nonprofits existing you know like I mean the organization we're working with for example in Guatemala has been there for fifteen years I want to say and like so you know they they they're pretty good at serving this very low-income population, right? So they often get, for example, the prosthetics donated from someone. And, like, we're kind of often covering, like, kind of the last... It's, like, the kind of the last mile, right, of the funding where it's, like, oh, you know, they just need the... You know, there's, like, some transport costs or, like, they just, you know, there's a little... There's, like, a little bit where it's, like, you know... Again, could this nonprofit just kind of eat that cost? Sure, but, like, at some point... You know, you can only eat so many of these costs before mm. it doesn't make sense anymore, right? Before you just before I mean, essentially, the organization goes bankrupt as well, right? So often we're kind of covering so that it kind of like makes it. It's like a kind of it doesn't. It's a revenue kind of neutral thing for the nonprofit to be able to you know do do the procedure or yeah. I mean, it's not we're not paying for you know some you know a surgeon to go you know live in 
a Guatemalan, you know, make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, obviously. So you're communicating with nonprofits and you're augmenting the nonprofit. So the nonprofit identifies a case where here's an opportunity for a low cost, high impact treatment and posts that case on Watsi for people to donate to and potentially fund the low cost, high impact treatment. But even if it doesn't get funded, the nonprofit will take care of the cost. Yeah, I think we, we've never, we got our model of the crowdfunding, I mean, this is different from, say, like Kickstarter, for example, is that we'll leave a case on the website for until it's funded. As, like, there's not, there's not like a time expiry kind of, mm. or, or, you know, a kind of a limit there. We also have, I mean, from like different corporate partnerships and things like that, we have kind of like a, a fund, but essentially we have kind of a, a bucket of funds we've raised that are like earmarked for patients, but not for a specific patient. So in some yeah. cases, we can also kind of draw down that fund for various different reasons. And so we kind of, we've never, like, it's actually, it's quite tricky for us to go back to one of these organizations and be like, hey, this surgery or this procedure that you know they may have already done right because they're not going to wait around like they're not uh, they're, once once we promise that we're gonna we're gonna fund something they're not going to wait around for oh i you know, see you know a couple of weeks for you know for people on the internet to fund it and then we'll just like have this guy sit there and you know wait until this happens it's like we kind of we promise and this is this is often happening this is the same thing as happens in insurance companies say in the u.s right like they're not you know sometimes like the the the, the ideal is that there's a set of things that the insurance company kind of pre-approves and that you don't like in the ideal case you're not sitting there waiting for a phone call to the insurance company and hopefully their call center is not too busy right for you know the doctors to go to, to be able to get something approved before they, they do the procedure i mean that doesn't unfortunately that doesn't always happen perfectly in the u.s for example right like there are definitely many many cases right when people are people tie literally waiting for the insurance company to pick up the phone or figure out whether they want to cover it or not we don't want to be that kind of funding organization right obviously so we yeah we, we kind of like and as you can imagine it's very problematic if you kind of like say you're going to fund something and then not going to fund it afterwards so we kind of like we do a bunch of forecasting to make sure that we know we can cover you know the surgeries that are kind of incoming and then we will we guarantee funding for for every kind mm -hmm. of case that we accept mm -hmm. yc research started funding a project with watsi to study universal health care what are the goals of this research project? Right. So this is kind of the YC research project is kind of a, a step forward in kind of towards our kind of sort of overall organization's mission to be able to make sort of universal healthcare possible. And I think a big what, what we're doing there is to look at to essentially explore if there are ways we can use technology to make funding primary care more efficient and just and sort of accelerate essentially progress towards universal healthcare. And I think it's important to sort of remember like our focus is on developing economies, right? Our, like our, we're not trying to solve this problem in the US or in the UK or in Canada or in a lot, you know, and mainly because, you know, we're not, that's not a, and we're experts in and the majority of our team's experience has been in the developing world, has been in, in kind of working in these settings. And also it's kind of a, it's a place where technology has, can have a really large impact Right, I think there's lots of startups trying to do different things or try and change to help change sort of the way that insurance is done in the U.S. and things like that. And you know, some of them are you know seeing some really great early signs of success. But the the thing about working in a system that already exists, like in the U.S. and I mean the, the U.S. sort of healthcare system has existed for probably a good 
I mean, like a, a good 80 or 100 years, right? Is that like you just have a lot of, obviously there's a lot of regulation, but also a lot of existing baggage, a lot of existing, like it's hard to start something brand new. But yeah. in a lot of, you know, in, in the developing world, there is, I mean, there's a, there's a sort of a spectrum. There are definitely countries that are not ready. They like actually don't have the resources at all to kind of think about doing even, even universal primary care. But there's some countries that are kind of pretty far along and have, you know, kind of health insurance systems that are, you know, they're kind of getting pretty close to, you know, what, a de- what healthcare in a developing world, developed country would look like. So there's a kind of a sweet spot there where there are places where, you know, they're just starting to kind of develop these systems, just starting to think about, okay, I think we can kind of afford rolling out kind of a universal primary care program or something like that um, for kind of all of the country's citizens. And, you know, where we can get a chance to, to kind of co- come in and build something kind of with technology from scratch rather than, you know, being like coming in afterwards and be like, okay, well, there's already all these paper claims. So how can we make this paper claiming process more efficient? It's like, well, maybe like the notion of claims doesn't even make sense if you know what's happening, if you can know what's happening in, in the hospitals and the clinics because you can record a lot of that stuff in workflow with technology in real time, right? That's kind of like, that's kind of the, the sort of things we're trying to explore with that um, YCR project. Mm-hmm. Y Combinator is showing itself to be really ambitious in terms of its scope. So not only has it funded all of these companies like Airbnb and Dropbox and all these other companies that have gotten really successful, they are pursuing these research projects like universal healthcare. I believe there's also a a research project around universal basic income Mm -hmm. that you could attach a business value to. You could say, okay, if we're moving towards a time when there's universal healthcare or universal basic income, what does that mean for businesses? But my sense is that the goals of Sam Altman and Paul Graham are more philanthropic in nature. What are Y Combinator's goals as a philanthropic organization? I think that's a good question you should ask them. But I think from my experience, I think they care about, and I think this was clear when they started funding nonprofits as part of sort of the YC standard startup batches, is that I think they're, what they, I think what they get excited about is that technology is changing a lot of things and also changing a lot of what is possible. And kind of in a similar way where, you know, we see like, hey, you know, you can you get a chance to kind of do something totally differently if you build it from scratch with technology. And we've seen that a lot with, like, you know, the way that Airbnb works, the way that, like, Uber works, you know, and, and these kind of companies. I think they see, they just see that a little broader, right, than just being like, oh, and, you know, technology can really change how a lot of these things work. So let's try and build a company. Let's try and build a company around it. They're like, well, some things are not quite so suitable to be in a kind of a, a C-corp structure, right? And I think they're, their, and their goal, essentially, what they get excited is like they get excited about being able to accelerate the progress of these things. They get excited about being able to have an idea and being able to sort of get it going really quickly and really kind of maximize kind of, I think, the velocity of, of bringing something like that into reality. And I, I think it's, it's in a way like both their nonprofit program in terms of the, the sort of standard YC batches as well as the YCR, the YC research projects that they've been funding kind of fit into this thesis of like, Hey, if we can, they're all about being making these things happen and making being kind of like the catalyst, right? And kind of in, in making these things happen, where it would just take much longer, or just kind of would just take much longer to sort of realize, or kind of would just like you know the splutter along 
for like you know it'll take another five or ten or twenty years before someone will kind of the, the right set of circumstances would, would kind of align to mm-hmm. let this idea of being uh, of applying technology to this particular area in this particular way kind of come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really their their motivation is just like hey this stuff is there's so much that can there's so much potential let's make that let's make realize the potential faster. Mm-hmm. There are these inefficiencies in the healthcare system of the United States and there are similar inefficiencies in other healthcare systems whether you're talking about Africa or any any country there are issues around fraud there's operational issues what are the low hanging fruits that can be ironed out with technology in terms of the inefficiencies I think that I've been at Watch about four years now, and I think the thing that always surprises me is that a lot of times it's the very simple applications of technology that can be really helpful. It's like being able to sort of see a list of all your cases or see a list of you know what has happened in the last week, being able to mm. know being able to like track like state across you know a case like did it oh this has changed it still has follow up this doesn't have follow up a lot of those kind of things like I mean I see a lot of for example, a lot of our partners on sort of on the crowdfunding Watch.org side, they're all like going through a similar thing where they're like, okay, let's try and use like Asana to track our, you know, patients. And let's try and use, you know, I don't know, we use Trello to do it. And like, and like, you know, they're all kind of like doing the same kind of thing we do where we like are trying to track whatever we're doing, right? Product ideas or like engineering, you know, requests and, you know, other things where we're like trying to like wrangle this thing tools, wrangle these kind of abstract tools like Asana or Trello to kind of organize our our work. And at the same time, you know, in the same way that we find often, like, we're like, oh, you know, Jira works pretty well, but it's really heavyweight, right? And you really need to be much bigger for it to be useful um, and to make sense. In the same kind of way, like, there's a lot of software, like, you know, EMRs, like electronic medical record systems, and, like, hospital management systems, all these kind of things. But they're all super expensive. They're, like, you know, they have huge sales teams. They're big enterprise deployments. They're, oft- they're often very not def- not designed for... The developing world, right? They're not designed for like the internet cutting out. They're not designed to be like the power cutting out to the server that's hosting all the data and the software, things like that. And so, the like often it is just kind of getting organized like that. That is that is very tricky, and that's that's something that like I think well designed software can really make a big difference in, right? But you do have to kind of really understand wait, like how exactly do they work? And it's not about you know you can't quite just be like let me come in and apply, you know just put in the Salesforce instance, you kind of like, it's, it's a little, it's a little further outside of, I think our experience like living in, you know, in the Western world, living in the U S like living in these, in also living in these places where there's a lot of technology where everyone has iPhones. Everyone's used to kind of using, everyone's used to the idea that, you know, you have this like huge system, all these, the cloud and all this data, you know, all over the place. It's like, that's not, those are not concepts that are, are familiar. Like when we, we, we got the pilot for the universal healthcare grant from ICR off the ground, we, you know, we have built this app, you know, kind of we were recording kind of all the healthcare interactions that happen in this one clinic in Uganda. I think after about a month or so in, you know, the, the clinic needed to do like a, a monthly report and they asked, they're like, well, so all this data we entered, like, is there a way to like see it? Like, is that a, like, do you guys uh-huh. have the data? And it's like, <sighs> to us, if we're like, if you're entering data into an app, you're like, of course it goes somewhere. Right. right, but they're just like, oh, the, is there like, is that possible? And then we're like, yeah, we can do this like report. For, I mean, t- you know, it doesn't take very long to pull, you know, to pull a couple of queries and, and report. I'm like, we can do this like report for you. Like, what do you need to know? Like, you need to know, you know, that like how many malaria cases, like, you know, and like, you know, and actually, it was quite difficult to get 
to understand, you're going to get to the discussion level of like, hey, like, what do you need to know from the data? Because even the concept of like, hey, there's this whole data store and we can like query it and give you answers. Like, I think most people, even if they, like, they might not understand all this database and this queries, but they understand kind of the intuitive interaction with that kind of, that kind of entity. Like, just, just kind of getting to the point where they're like, well, can you just show us a list of all the cases? And we're like, we could, yeah. but there's 1,100 cases. So you probably actually want to, like, well, what actually do you want? Because, like, I'm pretty sure if I give you 1,100 cases, you're going to start counting for a bunch of things you're going to count for. So maybe you tell us what the counting is for, then we can give you the counts, <laughs> right? Even that kind of interaction, like, a lot of that stuff. Like, again, like, the, is the technology very complicated? No, but it's like you actually don't want to, I think, deploy very, like, brand new like kind of cutting edge technology in the middle of nowhere like in uganda for example right you actually want to be like okay let's go with like the time test of the things that work pretty well because a whole right. bunch of other stuff goes wrong and then you're like okay like it's not quite as it's not quite as straightforward as like oh i built i built an app let me like get all my friends and then let's just go to try it right it's like the, the infrastructure is not the things that you don't even realize you're depending on when you're building software you end up not being able to depend on and it kind of really surprises you because of how, the way it just kind of breaks your cognitive dissonance. What are the early findings from this YC research project going after universal healthcare? I think a couple of things that have been interesting are maybe, I think the first thing that's been interesting is that there are definitely a decent number of just straight up dosing errors and also like a lot of like a lot of antibiotic usage a lot of things like that where it's like okay like you kind of you kind of take any like you can kind of pick like any md kind of off the street so to speak and take a look at you know some of the records and we're like yeah that one this one probably probably didn't you prescribe that drug like there's not really a test for this actually this like these like typhoid testing strips they're using those actually don't work at all like that's it just it's not even a thing anymore like it's no one uses them anymore but like you know that's um that just no one has like quite gotten to like this part of rural Uganda to like tell them that like, hey, you know, don't use these things anymore. They're not very accurate or useful. Like there's a lot of those kind of very basic medical errors that just, you know, there's no like, again, if you like if you're, you know, if you grab a, a Harvard MD and then put them in this clinic in rural Uganda, you know, they can they'll be able to find those things after a week pretty quickly. But it's even even just being able to like now we can send this, you know, send a, a case to someone and have them, have them look at it. Even just that has been has been has identified a lot of these kinds of errors. So like even just the mere act of collecting data has given us a lot of insight and a lot of like very obvious improvements you can make. I think on a meta level, and this kind of I think betrays like how complicated healthcare is, I think we've had to like technology is definitely a part of what we're doing, but we've had to put together a pretty like a a lot of different other parts of like essentially we're rolling out a bit of a health insurance program. So we have to put together a lot of other parts to kind of make the whole thing work and make sense for folks to come in and sort of get this primary care. So one thing we did was that we made the co-pay for visiting the doctor essentially very, very low. It's about a thousand Ugandan shillings, which is roughly 30 US cents. And for like per visit, that's the co-pay. And it doesn't matter if you're coming in to like give birth to a baby or if you're coming in because you have like a cold or like a bruise, it's kind of all the same price. And the thing that's really interesting about that is that that has dramatically like increased the it's two, it's two things that are interesting. It's dramatically increased the, the usage of the clinic. And it's also before the program started March 1st. Before March 1st, almost no one came because everyone was kind of waiting. And like, it's actually a little kind of heartbreaking. Like folks were getting like their malaria, for example, was getting quite bad. But they were like, well, I can go now and it's going to cost me, you know, six or nine or 12,000 shillings, right? Which is like a couple of dollars. 
or I could wait a week, you know, and, and stay sick, but then it only cost me a thousand. And so mm. one thing that's interesting is that like, you know, we made this decision, which it's, it's a controversial decision, right? The idea that like patients don't, I mean, essentially don't have to pay for their healthcare. That's a very controversial decision to make, but we're like, well, we're trying to isolate the factors here. So let's start with, you know, let's, let's not, we're trying to collect data on the clinic and, and the healthcare interaction in the clinic. There's not much data to collect if no one comes to the clinic. So I guess let's remove the barrier to the financial barrier to access care. So we did that, but then that has a whole bunch of other effects where it's like, okay, great. Like now people are getting, they have a lot more access to care. It's a lot more affordable than before. But then, you know, the, the, suddenly the onus is like, okay, well, this, like, we're both in a situation where we've made a, a controversial decision in terms of how a healthcare system should be run, right, without really quite realizing that we did that. And also, like, we have to deal with, like, well, okay, how sustainable is, is the system if everyone's only paying a thousand dollars, a thousand shillings for their visits? And, like, how much, like, that, that, that requires a decent amount of external support. And that external support doesn't necessarily have to come from donors, right? I mean, governments obviously pay for healthcare all the time. And part of what we're trying to do is more, like, build the financial model and be like, hey, for, like, this much healthcare access, for this kind of quality, this is how much you have to pay for it per person per month, Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of very much like how you know an insurance company would build an actuarial model around that. We're trying to be able to build that out and have real data to back that up, and reliable, accurate data and data that's like coming in every day. That's like, hey, look, this is happening right now, and be able to show that, and not necessarily make a huge, you know, make a huge kind of like philosophical argument around mm. whether patients should or should not pay for care, right? Mm. I think that's like that's. I mean, it's very controversial. It's like you know, we're definitely we're getting into you know, um, healthcare systems and global health, but we're definitely not experts in like whether or not you should pay, whether or not patients should pay and the effect that has on access and like, you know, the effect that has on delaying treatment and whether, like whether that is okay or not and whether like, and, 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 and also like all the kind of effects that happens around that, right? So we kind of, it's, zoom back up for a second, I think it's like, it's interesting that like, it's one of those kind of problems where it's not like, oh, I'll just, we just build a map and we put it there and it's going to work. It's like, well, you have to make all these other decisions and all of a sudden you're designing a healthcare system. And yeah, okay, there's this technology piece that you're doing that's interesting, but you have all these other, this whole healthcare system you have to decide all these decisions to make and those decisions are not like, they're like fraught with pearl in a lot of different ways, right? I mean, obviously they, you know, that you make and make the wrong decision and, you know, people die because of it, but also like, and because of how the gravity of that, like people have a lot of opinions about those decisions. Right, and about what you're, you know, whether people should pay or not, with you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like uh, 10, 15 years ago, like if it's just in a dot com boom, right? There was a lot of, I think there were a lot of kind of low hanging fruit ideas where it's like, hey, you need a way to buy things online? Let's build a site where you can buy things online. And like, kind of the, there's obviously there's a lot of depth that comes to that, but the kind of way that the way that technology applies and also kind of, the work you do that's not technical to get to a working product, let's say, is actually relatively low. But I actually feel like in the last like five years, let's say, a lot of those kind of low-hanging, kind of easy-to-apply technology to, to ideas or arenas or industries are like mostly gone. And now, like kind of to find a place where technology can really make a big difference, it's like you have to kind of dig a little deeper. It takes like a little mm. longer. Like you have to become an expert in other areas or at least be conversant in other in other areas industries depths in order to then be like and also we can bring we think we can bring this mm. you know really interesting change with technology well, well we have the consumer adoption model which is pretty well understood you get some early adopters who really want to buy books online yeah a book is a low 
risk transaction. People are willing to shift their spending to online for books, right. and then they find it's great, and they can they're happy to lever it up into toothpaste and so on. Or you've got enterprises that are looking for a competitive advantage, and they're willing to adopt new technologies, and so you can sell technology to them. Selling into the healthcare system is different, and it's different because you're describing these extremely low-hanging fruit problems that are basically like visualizing your data or getting a tool for just retrieving the data that you've entered or even right. just the idea of a electronic medical record is still controversial it's still and it's a, a lot of, in a lot of ways it's an, an adoption i mean part of it is an adoption par- problem part of it is the interface is terrible the you know the interfaces that people have to use because they're hipaa compliant at least in the united states right. or actually i mean maybe it's not hipaa compliance exactly that is the reason for that but a lot of this seems like it's adoption it's mindset it's you know, people have been doing things for a long time, and it works okay, or at least at least it works in a way where we understand the risk model of these technologies, and straying outside of the bound to A-B test a set of technologies when the risk of a negative event could lead to somebody getting severely injured. It's just not a... It's not like the consumer model or the enterprise model where you've got these low-risk transactions, you can gradually wean people onto it. In the healthcare system, it's just uh, just higher risk. However, I guess where I'm going with that is, in a place like Uganda, are there? I mean, it seems like there would be less red tape. It seems like you would be able to get people who are willing to take these kinds of risks if you can lower the cost a little bit. Is are, are these developing countries a good place to? test more advanced models for doing healthcare in terms of the applications that you're using be- just because you can deliver those direct cost reductions and there's not red tape? Let me actually quickly address a previous, you know, in terms of the adoption models. Sure, yeah. I mean, we often think about with the kind of U- uh, YCR project, we have, often think about, you know, that our like ultimate customer is actually the government, right? And so there's the consumer model, you know, you're like, oh, there's a way to do something or a better way to do something. And it's well, easy maybe the wrong term, but it's low friction to get a customer to try to get a consumer to try using Jet.com instead of Amazon, let's say. And then there's the enterprise or kind of like B2B model. And I think the interesting thing about I don't know if I can make a point about selling the governments in general, but I can say about in terms of healthcare and healthcare systems is that often you need to be able to demonstrate that this is actually better or cheaper, right? And the tricky thing about that demonstration is that it's very hard to, I mean, if you make medical devices and things like that, that's kind of has a more, that has a more established way of doing things. But also at the end of the day, you're, you're doing something that makes, you know, one person healthier. So you can start with one person. But when it comes to healthcare systems, when it comes to sort of how you finance healthcare, you kind of have to put together a whole, like kind of mini functioning system, right? And it, it you know, we have 2,700 also, people enrolled in the in kind of in in the system we're running out of the clinic. This one clinic in Uganda, and like that's I feel like the that's kind of the miniest we could get it. Like any smaller, it doesn't really it's not really kind of real enough. And so like we're in this kind of like in a way a protracted exercise to demonstrate that hey you know we've put this whole system together where we've made some decisions that's got nothing to do with technology that are that you know are controversial or many decisions that can be easily argued with. 
like for example the the, the part where the copay is very low and also then we have the technology part where you know we feel like that you know better transparency better data better understanding what's going on easier and more accurate pricing all that kind of stuff and you know we need to kind of be able to demonstrate that this whole system works pretty well and then kind of lobby for adoption or like you know a, a pilot within a government clinic or like kind of other paths like that and that's kind of like a whole i mean the the kind of maybe the, the old kind of term that like governments move even slower than than kind of enterprise or like you know than corporations is is definitely true but it's also they also require a lot more proof and a lot more kind of like you know it's it's not a lot more proof and a lot lot more kind of networking and in a way it's like sales but in a way it's like you really have to partner with the government right you really have to do it with them and it's not it's not a it's not as much a hey i've developed this one solution that i can just sell to one company and then two companies and 100 companies and and now you're it's all of a sudden you're a salesforce right can you remind me of the second question sorry well i was asking about just the adoption of technology in a place like Uganda relative to the United States because in the risk in the United States the risk model will scare people away from doing things differently but in the Uganda the savings might override any sort of risk model right I would caution against I think thinking in that way I, I think the folks the folks in developing countries the folks in Uganda you know in lots of these countries I mean their their Ministry of Health departments there they have folks that are just as highly educated, just as intelligent, care just as much about a system that works well, a system that doesn't harm people. And they're not in any way, I wouldn't say they're any less risk averse than say, if you went to, you know, Kaiser or went to, you know, uh, Medicaid and be like, hey, why don't you guys try this thing out? I think this thing will be cheaper. And yeah, I mean, you know, they, they care more about savings, but, I, you know, it's, it's hard to I wouldn't say they care about it kind of so much in so much more than say, you know, Medicaid or like any insurance company in the US would care about a way to be able to, you know, um, um, save okay. money, right? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of folks have the impression that, hey, I can go over and like try this thing out and like, you know, oh, they're so poor and like, you know, they, they'll be willing to try anything out because, because you know, um, it'll save them a little money and so on and so forth. And I think there's a, I think there's a lot of fatigue, right, in these, mm. in these governments, in these departments of health that like for, you know, of kind of folks coming in and be like, hey, we want to just try this thing out, you know, and like, of course, they're like the horror stories where it doesn't work out so well and a bunch of people get injured and so on and so forth. And like, and they're just as much like, look, we're not your, you know, we're not your like testing laboratory ground mm-hmm. for your, you know, cool new device mm-hmm. and so on and so Fair forth. Fair enough. Right. Even though you sort of, it's definitely easier, right? I think that there's definitely, it's easier to get to a point where you can try something in a developing country than say in the right. US. I mean, it's, that, that would, I would caution being, being too, like they're not any different than we are, right? right? I mean, it's, it's the well, same. So I, I was talking mostly in terms of like the things where it's a different way of managing your data or a different way of presenting data to a nurse you know, a, a hospital in the United States is going to be completely averse to anything new. Well, most hospitals mm-hmm. are going to be totally averse to any way of doing something new. And there's a lot of legal risk associated with it, too. And right. I, I don't know. I, I could just imagine maybe a healthcare provider in Uganda being more open to, to something like that. But maybe I'm totally mistaken. I think they would be more open, right? I think you get the same thing. You get the same kind of like, aversion to new technology slash new things slash just change 
that you know I think you would get anywhere, right? Everyone's always a little skeptical, and you bring them this、mm. new thing. It's like, oh, it's going to be way better, and it is easier. I mean, I guess you you can do that there as well. I think I don't know if it's it's hard to say what's easier or harder. I think the tricky part is you can have like two. It's a different kind of tricky. I think in the U.S. it's difficult because of regulation to get a data. It's difficult because the data often is still it still is not digitized. It's you know there's a lot there's a lot of Just being able to get at the data that's difficult in the U.S. and that's there's a similar kind of problem in a place like, for example, like Uganda, where it's more that the data is just is kind of often literally not recorded. I mean, often it's always it's always recorded, but often it's not accurate. Often, you know, there there are a lot of issues with with that kind of stuff. And so you're like, okay, I can get at all the data. I mean, I need to digitize all of it, but once I get it all into a database, it's like, wait, is it really even that meaningful? And a lot of these, the, the developing world doesn't. Like that far behind, really. Why? In some ways, they're a little more, a, a lot more ahead. Like, there's a lot of. I mean, there's a system, DHIS two, which is the District Health Information System. It's an open source package, for example, right? That's something like I think forty something countries, government, Ministry of Health departments run on, and like you know, data gets reported from like you know the the, the clinic level up to the district, up to you know kind of like the the whole country's you know、uh, ministry. And like they're able, they can see all the visualizations and you know see all things like with disease breakouts, all that kind of all that stuff is like they have all that stuff already, right? I mean, is it like great software? Is it like the best UI ever? No, right? I mean, but I challenge you to find healthcare reporting software、um, that you know is a real joy to use, you know, in the US as well. So it's like you know a lot of that stuff is there, and like it's not you know it, it's it's not like as much of a backwater as people think it is. It's I really think the opportunity often is. Is the blank slate when it comes to a lot of the systems, right? It comes. It's the blank slate when it comes to, you know, there is there isn't an existing health insurance program in any kind of governmental like sort of countrywide sense, and you know, kind of it's on the cusp of putting one of those, right? In, in a way, like the opportunities are kind of these countries kind of kind of developing, right? Becoming like you know, putting in a health insurance system or putting in some kind of like. Universal healthcare system for the entire country, or you know, kind of other milestones like that, and being able to use technology in those situations, right? As opposed to like, oh, you know, that this is a really, you know, I can bring them something that doesn't that doesn't ex that exists in the U.S. but doesn't exist over there. You you see what I mean? Like, it's more about、yeah. being able to kind of do it in a quote unquote do it right from scratch, but really do it right in the sense of, you know. When we first developed the U.S. healthcare system, there was no technology, and you had to like human Excel was the only way you're going to do any of this accounting and and you know and collating all that kind of stuff. And so you know a lot of you know a lot of how our systems work, a lot of how our, even insurance companies work just internally are still built off of are still vestiges of the fact that there were no computers that could do this. There was no internet to be able to just send things. You, the computers weren't networked in that kind of way. It, now that it's 2017, we can. If we were to build it from scratch, we would build it the same way. So there are some places where they haven't got all this stuff in place already. So let's build it from scratch in the "quote unquote" right way, or at least in the 2017 way, right, as opposed to like the 1926 way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a great place to close off. Thomas, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been great to talk to you about Watsi and where we're going with healthcare. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Hopefully, this was interesting, a little higher level, maybe than. Than a lot of the typical shows on here. That's great. It's, you know, it's good to have a balance between the lower level stuff and the higher level application, you know, user level stuff.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. 